And as we continue to address the fifth chapter, we see that Paul had already laid the groundwork in the first three chapters where he guided us through sound doctrine. And then as it turns in chapter four from doctrine to devotion, we're exhorted to live according to that doctrine. The doctrine comes as a safeguard against uh, such uh, tossing and turning, such trickery of men and craftiness and deceitful scheming and every wind of false doctrine. So that we see that this was initially done with general precepts at the beginning of chapter 4. And then as we move into the later part of chapter 5, we find that Paul applies them to more specific life situations. And so Paul has also employed analogies of spirit and flesh to draw out uh, the realities of maturity and immaturity and of light and darkness. We saw that Christians, as it relates to light and darkness, were called to expose the deeds of darkness, not by running investigations and seeking to find out the evil of those of unbelievers, but by living differently, by being light in the Lord. The very image of light has this effect naturally, namely that it shows the darkness to be what it is. And so uh, we see that this will require wisdom and discernment. And so Paul, again, returns to the analogy of the Christian life as a journey or that we are to walk in a manner worthy. Follow along as I read for us Ephesians chapter 5. I'll begin in verse 8 and read through verse 21. Hear the word of the Lord. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, awake, sleeper. And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us petition his help this morning. O Lord, we come before your word in need of your spirit. We need your spirit to guide us and direct us this morning. That we may hear the voice of your truth. 
that we may know and understand your word and so rightly discern your will. What a wonderful blessing it is to have your word, and we thank you for it, Lord. We ask that you would bless the time of our sojourning. You would bless this word preached to the furtherance of the gospel, to the growth of our faith, to assurance of our faith, Lord. We thank you and ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, as I approached uh, this passage uh, this week, I, I saw that there was certainly a, a connection between uh, these last six verses, 15 through 21. It's undeniable that Paul moves from this understanding of walking carefully, not as wise but un unwise, and being filled with the Spirit, and then the overflow of the Spirit expressed in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and making melody in our hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks and then doxological praise there at the end. But as I also approached this passage this week, I recognized that that was not going to be covered in one sermon. So this is part one of at least two sermons out of this passage. And so we'll be making uh, reference to some of the whole and we'll address the parts of the second half in the coming weeks. For us this morning, we're going to be looking at these imperatives to be careful, to be wise, to be knowledgeable, and to be filled. The first exhortation we have, or imperative we have, Paul says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. We recognize that uh, turning there in uh, Paul's words that he uses this term therefore to address us that he continues to build upon this idea that he's been making of this Christian walk or the Christian's walk. We see that it's found throughout Paul's letter. In chapter 2 we are told that the believer formerly walked according to the course of this world. And yet at the end of that pericope, we find that uh, we read about how God's works were prepared beforehand that we were to walk in them. And then in chapter 4, the faithful are implored to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And again in verse 17, an exhortation is made not to walk as the Gentiles walk. Then here in chapter 5, the attention is turned toward positive precept. Such in verse 2, we are to walk in love. In verse 8, we are to walk as children of light. And here in verse 15, we are to be careful how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And this is surely an extension of the Pauline corpses, where in Romans, he exhorts them to walk in newness of light. In Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, they are told to walk by faith and not by sight. In Galatians, they are exhorted to walk in the Spirit. To the Colossians, they were to walk in Christ. And finally, in Thessalonians, they were reminded of the instruction given as how to walk and please God. If we can, let's return to one of those examples in Galatians. 
Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 6 in verse 16. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. So we see here that this walk, those who will walk by this rule, is an orderly walk. It's to be an attentive walk. It is uh, even likened to the walk or the march of a soldier. You know, there was a time when I was much more diligent in uh, keeping up with my cardio and running, and I came across uh, some running music that was basically army chants. And so they were doing the army uh, marching chants that would help me keep in step as I ran. Sometimes they were much too fast for me to keep in step, but... This idea of walking orderly and attentively comes with that idea as soldiers were to mark our, our march, that they were to keep rank, and that they were to observe their rule or the laws of military discipline. And these would work, as Paul says in Galatians, they were to work peace in the consciences of the Galatians, of believers, and mercy from God in pardoning there are many failings. Because certainly as we pay closer attention to our walk, we find that it is somewhat out of step. If we were to look at this and, and we were to take a moment to think carefully how we walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, we know that the standard is not lowered to some sort of relative wisdom, some sort of relative walking but the very walk that we're supposed to walk is to be in step with our Savior, to be in step with the steps of Christ. And we find that those steps are much like uh, when you were a child and you would walk with your father and you would have to take two or three steps and maybe even stumble as he would take one or two steps. Or maybe in a, on a beach or some other soft ground, you tried to match his steps in the sand or in the dirt. Here we find that it's a much more impossible task to do so with Christ. For he walked perfectly. He walked perfectly careful in his days on the earth. And we are grateful to find out that we receive his walk as it's imputed to us. And so when God looks upon our efforts to be careful in how we walk, he looks upon Christ, his son, as we hold him in faith. And so we may beat ourselves up here, and there is a sense in which we are to think carefully how we, how we walk, circumspectly as it's translated in other translations, that we are to think diligently about the steps we walk, and that it is for the purpose or the aim to be wise. And so we see this in distinction to before when we were to watch our step, 
because of the world and its impingement upon us or Satan and his suggestions or our flesh and its pulling away. Here, we are to look at the exemplar and walk carefully. We are to look at something of, of, of example, not of contrast as we had in the previous section. So that our, our walking here, that we are to be careful in our walk that we are to be careful to walk as our Lord walked, that we are to be careful to walk not as unwise men, but as wise. And so it's certainly this flow in Paul's thought here that we are to be careful how you walk and we are to be wise in our walk. But as wise, we see that this is an understanding of prudence, of someone who weighs all things. As those who are endowed with the wisdom of God, we are to weigh how we walk. We are to weigh all things according to the wisdom of God revealed in his word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. To be wise is to walk and please God, is to receive instruction, specifically here, the apostolic instruction. And we have the apostolic word recorded in the new testament we have the uh, prophetic word confirmed and further revealed in the apostolic word in the new testament and so we can go back to the prophetic word in the old testament with eagerness to find more connections to christ and this is how we are to be wise we are to be Men and women of prudence who weigh all things. We are, to be, uh, we are to consider this right as being endowed with the wisdom of God. As something of, uh, to be handled with great care. To be handled circumspectly. But it is not this understanding, this wisdom. This wisdom is not a wisdom to... Um, in, in essence, to look to God's word for it to tell you every uh, jot and tittle of decision you make. For when we walk in life, there are many paths that each of us take. And this isn't a universalist argument that all paths lead to God. But in the Christian life, all paths can be in step with God's word and yet reflect the providence of your own life. So Michael Allen says the wise person is not necessarily the knowledgeable person, surely not necessarily someone with a word from the Lord delivered by a fleece or the like. The wise person is the one well planted, not easily blown about, mature and sensible. Certainly we could even consider an illustration that a person full of head knowledge is an imbalanced person. It's almost like a toddler or a baby where you stand them up and they lean forward and they want to go where their head goes because that thing is oversized for their body. They're imbalanced. But as they're 
core and as their legs grow strong and they learn to hold themselves up and they learn to walk, they grow into their head in some ways, but they learn to have a stable foundation. So it is with this idea of wisdom. That we aren't seeking some secret knowledge from God, some divining of God's will. It even mentions, Michael Allen mentions in passing this understanding of, of Gideon and the fleece. And we recognize that as we look back at that, there are many that talk about putting out the fleece to find and divine God's will. Yet we should look back at Gideon and we see the whole story and we see a time when everybody was walking according to their own will and their own purposes, not walking according to the will of God. Gideon, not above that, though called out by God to lead God's people, he questions God and asks God to do something miraculous so that he would know and be confirmed in it. And yet, was it not God's word that told him exactly what would happen? Gideon is not our example, our exemplar for how we are to walk wisely. But we have Christ who with every answer to the Pharisees, with every answer to Satan, answered with the word of God. And so as our wisdom is to be like Christ, is to be... uh, originated from Christ, our, our word, wisdom is to originate from the word of the Lord, not a word from the Lord. It's oftentimes when we're seeking to make decisions, we want to know the secret will of God. We want to know what only the, only the Israelites could know by looking back at the recording of their travels. We want God to give us an exact itinerary of our life or maybe at least of the next decision we need to make. And so we make it out to be God to be a Ouija board or God to be the God of the eight ball, the magic eight ball, as opposed to be the God of, his, of the word, to be the word, the wisdom from above. And so we need not Uh, stress about or worry or have anxiety about making uh, the decision that is, I just want to do what the Lord's will is. And when we say that, if we mean, I just want to do what's ordained for me to do by God so that I can look back and say, I made the right decision. You're asking what is not available to you as a creature. We, can, we should record like the Israelites did so that we may look back and see the hand of God, God's faithfulness. And oftentimes we see it as the Israelites did in the redemption that God brought and they walked out boldly from the Egyptians. But we'll often see it as the Israelites saw as in that same passage, Kadesh was brought up. And we're reminded of our failings and see the Lord's grace and mercy to us in our time of need. This idea that we are to walk and be wise. We are to be careful and to be wise. And that we are to be, this, this being wise is to make the most of your time because the days are evil. This is translated in older translation because of the word being rooted in, 
in the same word used to, to speak of redemption, that we are to redeem our time. This is something of a difficulty, can be something of difficulty for you if you grew up in the same tradition I did, where redeeming your time meant Christianizing your time. So that redeem, redeeming was, was not, was not uh, living in light of the gospel, living in light of the hope that Christ has given us, living in light of the knowledge that God has ordained all things to come to pass and has given us his prescribed will and his word so that we may live wisely according to it, but that we are to morph and transform the activity so that we maintain it yet Christianize it. And so we redeem the time. And so I, I do like this modern translation that says making the most of your time because it, it gets to the uh, point of it that is if we even consider redeeming the time, it means to recover from the power of another by paying a price. Consider that with your time. That your price has been, or your price, your time has been bought. You have been redeemed by Christ. But you've been bought out of the hand of another. You have been bought out of a darkened understanding. You've been bought, bought out of an ignorance, a hardness of heart, a, a, a chasing after impurity and greediness, a, a leading into falsehood. You've been bought out of all the things Paul has exhorted them against. This idea of making the best use of our time, I was reminded of Horace's uh, poem from 23 BC. Actually, no, I was reminded of the popularization of Horace's poem in 1989 in the movie Dead Poets Society, where they were taught carpe diem. I didn't know it was connected to Horace in 23 BC till I looked it up. But this idea was that they were to seize the day, the Latin phrase carpe diem, seize the day. They were to make the most of their opportunities that they were at hand. And certainly, if you watch the movie, it's very much related to chasing after your heart and your own desires. And there's very much worldly wisdom wrapped up in it. But the idea of seizing the day we find here and making the most of your time. We oftentimes find that we are tempted by our flesh to flitter away our days in endless recreation. There's certainly nothing inherently evil about resting from our work, spending intentional time with our family. But there is a uh, recreation that its aim is not at making the best use of our time. There is certainly an ec a recreation that draws our, our mind off the focus of Christ in this fleeting world and onto temporal things that we may become entangled in these things. And so redeeming the time may not change the activity, but it surely changes the aim and the goal in a very uh, like passage in Colossians chapter three, Paul exhorts uh, the church there to do the same things that he's exhorting the Ephesian uh, Christians. He's, he's telling them to uh, 
bear one another's burdens. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Verse 15. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. And he concludes there in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. See that uh, slight change to Paul's doxological phrasing. He now gives us the aim here of being wise. That redeeming the time doesn't necessarily change the activity, but it surely changes the aim so that where we used to indulge the flesh, we used to run away with the passions of our flesh and be carried about and led about by the prince of the power of the air to run after every worldly thing. Our aim is now changed so that we can deny ourselves. We actually can actually deny ourselves and take up our crosses and follow Christ. through the power of the Spirit. And we see here this understanding that we are to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. When I ask my kids to do a chore, I try to remind them when we go and sometimes inspect their job, is this something that you want to say that you did? You want your name to be associated with this work? That, that you're going to say, yes, I did this. And so when somebody walks through the door, we can say, you know what? You know who did that? that you're, this, this was done by this child or this person. We should think the same way about our time. Our time in relationship to Christ. And this doesn't make us monks. This doesn't send us to the monastery to pray and read God's word and chant on end upon end upon end. This releases us to, with joy to live according to Christ's word, to live for Christ, because before we could not. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We could not walk. We could not be careful. We could not be wise. But now we are able to. And so it's why this is wrapped up in the giving thanks to Christ. We give thanks through him to God the Father. The other thing we must remember as being wise, being wise is to recognize our place in this world, that we are to walk as pilgrims and strangers. If we are to be wise in how we walk, we, are to, we should walk as pilgrims and strangers. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. This is uh, often referenced as the hall of faith, but this is the testimony of God's faithfulness through all generations to those who's called to himself in Christ. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 13, all these died in faith. These are the fathers. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them, And having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. Not just that they were strangers and exiles because Abraham moved from the Ur of the Chaldeans to 
Can, uh, the land of Canaan or any of his uh, descendants, but that they were exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We see they sought a better country, and so they lived as pilgrims. They were wise in their living because they saw themselves as exiles on the earth. And how is this shown? Was this shown in them holding away and, and just offering continual altar sacrifices or prayer to God? Not at all. How is this shown in verse 17? By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. We show that we are careful and we are wise and we are redeeming the time in how we show faith in trial. How we show that we are living for a better country is when we are able to see the temporal happenings in our life and yet still have hope of a better country, have hope of a eternal land, of a heavenly one. And so we are to be careful and we are to be wise. And so we are also to be knowledgeable. Again, Michael Allen was helpful for me. He says the text reminds us it says making the most of your time because the days are evil so then do not be foolish but understand what the will of the lord is this text reminds us of the significance of a well catechized and mature laity who know the will of the lord not because a minister has told them what particular choices to make, but because a minister has instead equipped them with the word of the Lord and has led them in a community marked by these formative rhythms. I like that idea of rhythms. What is the rhythm of your week? I, I uh, was talking to Brother Chris earlier a few days ago and we were talking about the struggles of the week the struggles of the work week what brings us down what what weighs us and i in some moment of clarity i said but sunday's coming what is the rhythm of your week does your week rhythmed by the lord's day worship i know you're here and i'm thankful you're present and i don't want to preach to the choir but i want to ask you as you attend here in body does your spirit yearn for this the rhythm of the week you can tell if you understand the will of the lord when you understand the lord's desire for you to worship him on the lord's day to set aside the cares of this world and enter into sacred worship 
What greater knowledge is there? It's unavailable to us in nature. It's unavailable to the carnal man that they should know on what day they are to worship. Yet the Christian and the believer have been given God's word, especially in written form, but then in the spirit, in their written on their hearts, they have an oughtness to worship God on his day. And as we will see in the coming weeks, as he intended to be worshiped. Another helpful companion in this uh, journey through Ephesians is Dr. Gill. He says, there is the secret will of God, which is the rule of all his proceedings and is unknown to men till facts make it appear. I mentioned this earlier. We can only know God's secret will by looking in the history books. How do you know what was prepared for you as you look at what God had delivered? To you. This is always fulfilled and sometimes by persons who have no regard to his revealed will. To this, the wills of the people of God should always be resigned. We should always just be resigned to God's providence, knowing that God will work out his ordained will for his good and perfect purposes. He goes on to say, he says, yet there is his revealed will, which lies partly in the gospel. First, in the gospel, which declares it to be his will, that Christ should work out the salvation of his people, which is what he came to do, that whoever believes in him shall be saved, that all that are redeemed shall be sanctified, and that they they shall persevere to the end and be glorified. The revealed will first partly is in the gospel, that all should repent and believe in Christ. And so believe in Christ, be justified, and then be sanctified, and finally persevere to the end and be glorified. Are you knowledgeable of the will of God as it's revealed in the gospel, as you've submitted to the gospel's command to repent and believe? Though let's not mix the law and the gospel, for the gospel is a gift of God that we receive through the instrument of faith, through no work of our own and no merit of our own. Yet we recognize it as God's revealed will. Children, this is why your parents bring you every Lord's Day. This is why they offer to you the offerings that we offer because they want you to understand primarily the will of God in the gospel that you would submit to Christ, that you would put your hope in Christ alone and believe in him. The revealed will also is partly revealed in the law, as Gill goes on to say, in the precepts and commands of it, which contain the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. And the understanding of it is not a mere speculative knowledge of it, but a practical one. Going back to this idea of wisdom. Wisdom is is knowledge lived out practically. It's experiential. You live according to this knowledge. You say you have this knowledge and you believe these things, and yet if you live contrary to it, you live as if you don't have that knowledge. To be knowledgeable is to be practical, to live, to be knowledgeable, to understand what the will of the Lord is, is to know his law, to by the movings of the spirit, the giving the 
awakening and enlivening of the Spirit in our lives to actually desire to obey God, to obey His revealed will in His law. We recognize that here we, we find that the final idea is to be filled, to be filled with the Spirit. Paul gives the contrasting example here, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. We read in 1 Corinthians this morning what the filling of the Spirit does. It doesn't produce erratic uh, actions. It doesn't release you of your mind. It actually sobers your mind here in the contrast we have here. For in the drunken state, we often lack motivation. We certainly, as we've all learned through many school programs, that what is the first thing that alcohol does is it impairs your judgment. It impairs your ability to make wise decisions. It often saps your motivation. It often changes you into an in, uninhibited person. It reduces your judgment and reduces your inhibitions. I, we can talk about the dangers of drunkenness, the, the, the sin of drunkenness, but... The emphasis here is not drunkenness. The emphasis here is the filling of the Spirit. That we are to be filled with the Spirit. And what's interesting about this word, to be filled, is a single word in the Greek. It references a passive act, that we are to be filled, that we aren't to go and fill ourselves with the Spirit, but we are to be filled with the Spirit. It's obviously in the... in in a past tense sort of view, but it's also in the ongoing sense. This filling of the Spirit is an ongoing filling of the Spirit. And I think if you question as to what that means, Colossians chapter 3 was helpful to that. What is this filling of the Spirit? He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And then he doesn't mention being filled in the spirit in Colossians chapter three. He says this correspondent phrase, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. To be filled with the spirit is to have the word of Christ richly dwell in you. My children like to bake often, and so often there are rich desserts or sweets, and they don't just put a little bit. They richly fill these desserts with the flavor, whether it's chocolate or whether it's a sweetener or whatever it is, they richly fill it so that when you eat of it, you know and are aware of its filling. We see to be filled with wine is to lose inhibition and lose judgment, to be filled with the Spirit. And so to be richly, to have the Word of Christ richly dwell in us is to be circumspect, to be wise, to be careful, to be knowledgeable. For the Spirit brings voice 
to itself kind of voice to the utterings of the spirit, the movement of the spirit that when we pray, the spirit intercedes for us and utters words that are unspoken. But not just to God, then it's to each other, which we'll look at in the coming weeks. But, in, but just by way of completing this thought, to be filled with the Spirit is to speak to one another. It's to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That idea of speaking there is also an idea of teaching one another. It's to be, it, to be filled with the Spirit, to, be, to have the Word of Christ richly dwell in us, is that we make melody with our hearts to the Lord. And certainly to be filled with the Spirit is to be thankful in all things. And as we'll see this filling of the Spirit play out in the relationships of our lives, the relationship between man and wife, between uh, fathers and children or parents and children and to, from superiors, superiors to subordinates, we'll see that it is a filling that fills every quarter of our lives. And so it's not without surprise that Paul ends his letter with a call to arms. But until then, let us be careful, let us be wise, let us be knowledgeable, and certainly let us be filled with the Spirit. Now let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you that it is by your word we are knowledgeable of your will, the will of the gospel that calls us to repentance and faith, that reminds us even those that have, have, have grasped the truth of the gospel to remind ourselves daily of our need of Christ and of his perfect work that no matter what we endeavored to do in the day, we will do it according to the weakness of our flesh, but it's received by you in Christ as acceptable worship. And that we would also remember your law, that we would love your law, your revealed will to us, that we may honor you and love our neighbor in Christ by the Spirit, unto the Father. We give you thanks. May our worship continue this morning as we make melody in our hearts and receive the sacraments and hear your word again spoken over us as a blessing that we may go from here in the rhythms of this day We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.